Her arms flap in the breeze because she's mighty Polish, awfully Polish. Give her a pierogi and let her fly. Um, that's my song to my underarm flesh. <laughs> Do you have a whole uh, album of songs to your underarm flesh? That's... My underarm flesh is the new titty flesh. And oh. I, I challenge anyone who disagrees to an arm wrestling competition, but not your brother. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what I don't care for? Disney characters. I'm going to be folding my laundry during this episode so we get to talk about toddler sizing and whatnot. This is absolutely inaccessible. It's unacceptable. It's going away. Well, third time's a charm. charm. They always say. <laughs> we, uh, we tried this on Monday and here we are on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, so the first recording I was like, we cannot, no. And then the second one, Ryan was like, we cannot, no. <laughs> This and is so, such a trip, tricky topic. We fucking know everybody in Boston and everybody's going to think we're talking about them. And we are. And I just, <laughs> I don't know. You know, yoga, this, um, so we, we have now recorded thricely on the topic of um, the, the, little, the little hubbub at the hub um, about uh, a non-compete that a group of teachers got together that had been former employees of this place with a non-compete and had uh, wrote an open email about how we shouldn't do that anymore. We shouldn't do that anymore. And then the studio said, huh, okay, I got rid of it. Well, to be fair, <laughs> I'm if just you, so tired of telling the story. I have to give the truncated version. Yeah, the the first response was not "huh, okay, we'll get rid of it." First response was double down. Week later, "huh, okay, we'll we'll uh, get rid of it." And myself and um, many many other teachers were released from their from their contract. And on Monday, sort of, uh, Kate and I took the approach of discussing our personal experiences at, um, at Down Under. And upon reflection, um, what I realized is that uh, there's been a lot of calls for dialogue and I don't really wanna be a part of them, at least not as it comes to dialogue around a singular business dialogue around what happens more broadly in the yoga studio, in, in the yoga world, like, yeah, of course. I really am appreciative of the teachers who got together, as well as the studio owners uh, who crafted a statement um, of, of what, what I actually think are fairly difficult principles to live up to, which we'll post in the show notes in terms of how they would like to, they would like to go forward existing in the Boston yoga world. Um, and uh, the only thing that I would want to say in terms of my experience of Down Under is just to say publicly that I did have dialogue around all of these topics and what feels a little There's a, there's a part that, that feels, of me feels like that my, um, stubbornness as an employee might have helped the inevitable conclusion to let people out of their contract. And there's part of me that feels like, well, all of those months of being told that, you know, Ryan, change just happens really slowly. <laughs> And then to see that, you know what, change doesn't have to happen slowly. No, and I, I agree with this on a larger, you know, even pulling back from down under just a singular studio. It's like change in general doesn't happen slowly. If we look through history, it is always, you know, a, Explosion. Handful, <laughs> of, a handful of people that are just like, fuck this. And yeah. then, you know, the 
there's like a fomenting of change. And yes, there is a simmering under the surface, usually for years beforehand, but the actual popping of the pustule usually happens by a small group of troublemakers. Yeah. Uh, because it's just what have you, activists, thank God. And I too just want to say I'm grateful for the people that spoke out. Um, I think that I want to applaud public gestures in general. I want to applaud civic activity. And um, I think that that is good. And it's proof that change can happen fast. Um, I feel a little less so about the studio email, to be quite frank. Um, I the, the one that came from the teachers, like that to me felt that to me felt more real and genuine than the one from studios. The one from studios kind of felt like let's uh let's kick the let's kick the horse while it's down because most of those studio owners i had had the same exact experience with like the mm -hmm. exact same exact same experience with they were doing everything that they were but you know i guess what they were doing is standing up and saying we're not going to do that anymore interesting to see if they do um so you know i want to be careful to straddle this line of like you know the the what was down under doing wrong and what was like weird interpersonal relationship struggles happening between you know specific people and specific people at down under you know because those are those are different things fundamentally well they're different things and the it's like the contract was the the quiet virus that made the interpersonal relationships yeah but it wasn't quiet it was on the website it was everywhere you knew what you were signing and i had experiences at studios that did not have those contracts but did mm. the same sort of pressure and like we're not going to give you classes if you do xyz here's the unspoken rules you need to live by sure so i like for me i always appreciated that at least down under was like saying it <laughs> you know there was no bullshit like sure oh, but i it's fine but i think the thing is like saying it is one thing and then reinterpreting it as people totally exit is a, totally. is, is a very, very different thing. And I think now, that's I, more I, what we're, what we're talking about. Yeah, is, but I can't speak to that because yeah. I mean, I have, I signed my contract with eyes wide open and in good faith. Did I think it was a good contract? No. Did I want to work there with those people? Yeah. And I'm glad I did it. For me, it was the right decision. That being said, I knew what I was signing. And so I, and whenever I have wanted to teach outside the radius, I've simply gone to Justine or Michael, whoever, and said, is this something I can do? And they've always said yes. And it's just because I've communicated like, for the most part, open and clearly and gotten open and clear responses. Now, does that mean that I agree with the contract? No, I don't. I fundamentally don't. I'm grateful for the people who spoke up. I'm grateful that we uh, who work there are now all in charge of rewriting it and recrafting something. That feels great. I worry though, like it, to me, it seems like what's happening is some people are able to exit, you know, and not have an issue. And some people exit and have a terrible fucking time. And I don't, I wasn't in the room, you know? And I, it sounds like some people were hurt badly. Mm -hmm. upon exiting uh and i don't you know I, I think if people were hurt i i like them to be able to have an avenue to have a remedy to that yeah i don't know what that is i also know that you know there are some people that leave and they leave in weird ways you know like sketchy shady ways and some people leave you know totally on the up and up and it's like I, I, my point is what we're looking at is a structural problem around HR. Yeah. So no, that's whatever, but, whatever well, the fuck happened could have been avoided with like an, HR. an actual HR department. Also, to be fair, what we're talking about is the power dynamic between a business owner and employees. And yeah, but we're at will employees, you know, like, yeah, but that, but everybody is, that's just the state of Massachusetts. Like know, we can so be guess, fired at I any question, time. I, I question the power dynamic that you've been talking about. Well, if if 
if there's a contract in place that even if unenforceable has a the the uh exiting of that contract has a uh historical habit of of coming with uh let's say graciously um moderately to severely threatening communication um there is a power dynamic there whereas if yeah but here's was the moderate to se severely threatening language around the contract and something like somebody i don't know say going to teach across the street the next day after well of, that's what i don't yeah i don't know the personal interaction so i can't really i can't I really so speak to that and nor should anybody who like If, if, if I, as a business owner, am pissed off at somebody because they went across the street and opened their own yoga studio, yeah, privately, I'm going to be really pissed off. And if they but, had signed a contract with you and you had like thrown a bunch of money on cultivating them and giving them prime time slots, maybe giving them times for yeah, workshops and, uh, uh, and uh, they signed a freaking thing in good faith that was like, hey, you know what I'm not gonna do? I'm not gonna go trouncing across the street no, the next day. No, no. Then don't sign, then why because, work there? Why show up and work it be, down under? There are other places to work if you don't want to But here's the, the thing, here's no. the thing. If the contract included a promise of a guaranteed income, then yeah, that would be very different. Yeah, and that's the flaw of a contract and that's why it's gone and they're rewriting it. So totally agree with that. And everybody's been released from it. I just, when I look back at it, I say- But here's the thing- If Kate I get, if I leave and let's go into the past and say that, you know, back when, the, you know, two weeks ago or whatever, when the contract is still valid, if I leave, I'm going to, it, it, I'm going to leave in good faith and, and give it a beat before I like open up shop. And what I'm actually going to do is have a conversation with Jesse and the management team and say, look, you know, I've given it some time. Can I need to, I need to work now. Yeah. Like, I, and, I think that. I hope we that agree the, it's a shitty contract. We agree I, it's a I, contract. I hope that those conversations go differently moving forward. Um, and uh, I, it is not my responsibility to spend time and emotional labor uh, when I'm not being compensated for it to uh, fix someone else's business practices. Ooh. And especially when I was employed by them <laughs> and was actively trying to inch the conversation in the direction of this contract is the thing that's causing the drama. Whether, the whether it's the contract itself or the perception of the contract or the way that the contract is talked about or the history of how the contract's been leveraged, this is, this is nothing that I hadn't said in countless, countless, countless meetings. And I don't think it's possible to see the truth of that from inside. What do you mean from inside? From inside the bounds, because inside the bounds of the contract, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily operate as any sort of a um, issue unless you get the feeling that like, you know what, this really isn't working out for me. And then it becomes, you know, a lot of uncomfortable conversations, um, which is fine. Uncomfortable conversations are, are necessary to get through life. Um, and I think what I am, what I want to really more focus on is the fact that we are all as yoga teachers, depending on some benevolent studio owner <laughs> yes. for like just the existence of these endless like and it just doesn't it doesn't it don't no don't do that let's stop yeah 
Yeah, Let's and that's why stop. when all of the studios signed that fucking letter, yourself included, I apologize. There was part of me that was like, day late and a dollar short. You know, a, a, the the like. Well, it was no big deal deal for it, me it to just, sign it. Well, it just felt, it, it felt, well, it wasn't no, because it wasn't, you know, but it, I understand that, but there's part of me that saw that and was like, you all do the same thing. This feels opportunistic. Let's talk about real change. And um, I'm just on a larger level. There are so many really big problems in how people make money with yoga that this feels like you know and it's dying down or either that or i haven't been on social media i i went to i went to kentucky i uh i'm not really interested in um sort of super I mean, personal hearsay shit talk about you know specific people i don't know that i mean i think there are there are, i know there are many people grappling with not direct who are not directly involved with the letter but many people grappling with how this was my experience and it really did suck and i really did experience harm and yeah, this open letter is great, but I don't know that I like people who are just in a space of like, I, I don't know that that resolves the harm, which is not to say that like, I, mean, I think I everyone think should go. I don't, I don't think it's designed to. I mean, yeah. honestly, the, the open like dialogue conversation thing, I think it was a gesture. I think it's a flawed one, but. Um, yeah. because I think that when somebody has experienced, I got to tell you, I've had yoga teachers treat me truly, I'm sorry, yoga, yoga bosses, yoga studio owners treat me really, really poorly, uh, upon exit. And I have no interest in being in dialogue with somebody that's yeah. treated me with that level of, so, you know, for anybody out there who's like, fuck, no, I don't have a conversation. I totally get that. Why would you? Yeah. It's not your job. It's not your job to do that yeah and um, and i'm when when i say i'm not interested in dialogue it doesn't mean that i wouldn't be interested in dialogue in six months it's just we just got out of, of a pandemic i'm <laughs> i'm getting used to working three new jobs <laughs> and like i just don't have the emotional time no, or bandwidth you're close to it you're too close to yeah it. for anybody that's been personally harmed you know or uh and i'm thinking about you know it's just like it's not their job and yeah better to create a forum where somebody can anonymously drop like an email in a box and say whatever they need to say you know yeah like if as long as that email was really one as long as that email was distributed to the entire faculty and staff absolutely yeah if you really want to hear you have to give people a safe an anonymous way to do that and does that mean some people are going to write some horseshit yeah but does that mean yeah. a lot of real ones are going to come through hell yeah hear them yeah. all and then do better and that goes for every studio owner yeah create a space where people can communicate you know harm and and, and that's where we're functionally talking about the hr structure yeah well and and Which to be fair that yoga if they're gonna play with the big boys need to act like the big boys you're gonna yeah. act you know you, 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 we've been doing this one foot in ma and popville one foot in corporate america bullshit and it's like be, you, you got to be one or the other you cannot yeah you cannot talk Precisely. out of both sides of your mouth well and and the other thing that that we need to be clear on is like no one has cracked this code yeah, and this is there is down under. This isn't. Yeah, like, this is, and and I, I see the the sort of rumblings of how the Buddhist the Dharma world is trying to handle this. Like they don't have it. There are like teachers councils and and things of that nature. And um, I don't really know how um, effective 
that is, um, I saw years back some teachers trying to, you know, and, and the tricky thing here is like these were teachers and essentially religious organizations trying to set up structures of accountability, which is slightly different than a, for you profit. know, for-profit uh, yoga studio model um, setting up layers of accountability. But, you know, beyond the HR situation and back to the um we're just going to depend on benevolent studio owners for the rest of our lives um if such a thing actually exists uh like i think what would be really would take a lot of research and a lot of money to figure out how to do this right and fair and equitably equitably yeah and uh give give the studios to your employees or 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 own the studio but truly treat your teachers like employees yeah but then but then <laughs> you're getting not a then you're depending on the benevolent studio owner model where they're not accountable to any sort of anything. Well, no, what I'm talking about is like, you can give it, I think there's a way to do it where there is still like a boss. You just have to have an HR department and a clear guideline on what it means to be an employee. And that employee structure has to be not based on class numbers. So you remove yeah. some of the politic from it. And yes, it, it, there's also great ways to do it as a co-op, as a nonprofit, as a education, you know, as a, I'm um, sorry, a, a university or institution of that nature. I think there are lots of creative ways to rethink this. And I don't think it has to take a long time. It, no. It needs, you need to get your, some of your, your best brains in the room. You get yourself a dry ass erase board and you reverse engineer the numbers. Yes, absolutely. I love doing this shit. If someone wanted to contract me this is what we do, hint, but this hint. is what we do. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, to be fair, at Patient Moon, you, you and I have this other like yeah. perspective on things that, that we don't actually often talk about. We talk about you as studio owner, but we don't often talk about the fact that you and I both work in small business strategy. <laughs> like so, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, I we come at it with different tools and understanding of you know the infrastructure and. Uh, the, uh, you know, we just often see so many times, especially in the yoga and wellness space, sort of a hand wave over numbers. Mm -hmm. And that works for some businesses, but not always, not forever. And ultimately, it doesn't make it a business that you could hand off to somebody, which is, yeah. dear God, make that the goal, even if you think you're going to run it till, you know, if you ever want to be able to sell your business or franchise or uh, you know transfer ownership or, or break up on you need to understand your numbers and if yep. you don't understand you're just hand waving at memberships covering some ambiguous cost you're really missing the forest for the trees and you can't make nimble decisions if you don't understand where you're at Yes. So I also think that there is a resistance and a fear of studio management and studio owners to say to their top earning teachers, the way you have been compensated, we're going to have to find a new way. Yeah. And that means saying to the teachers that fill the room, gosh, we value you. Thank you. Now we're going to have to find a new way to compensate you that points to the same, you know, I'm not saying to take away money from popular teachers. There's yeah. a way to get them back to the income that they're making, but temporarily you got to have people on your team who are like, you know what, that is unfair that you have somebody that's been maybe like an Iyengar teacher has been teaching for 20 years. And because of the nature of the class, we'll never have more than 12 people in it. Yeah. And then they get and that's, $50. And that's really Why valuable. It was super fucking valuable. Yeah. And then the people who have been teaching for 10 minutes look great and have a former dance background and are able to teach a really creative, funky flow that probably ultimately isn't that great for people's bodies, whatever. It's still fun. It's still valuable. They're filling the room and making $200. 
So how on earth can we move forward with that inequity? And honestly, before anybody smells sour grapes, I'm on both ends of this. I used to teach a hip hop class that, that you know would have 60, 70 people in it. I've taught hot classes that punish people and are full. I've taught vinyasa classes with a lot of people. And I've also taught prenatal and slow flows and classes with less people. And honestly, like the skill is different. The hat yeah. I put on in one is a different skill set than the hat I put on in the other. And I worked really hard to have both. And now as I'm getting older and I understand on sort of a fundamental level, what that level of rigor might do to the human body. Yeah. I'm, more, I'm way more interested in um, flow and slow flow. So I won't crack into that can of worms for this conversation. It really is a whole other one because there is room for everybody at the table. But to financially value them more, people that are teaching that way more is not sustainable and unfair and ultimately leads to a yoga studio that has almost primarily classes like that. And what does that do to your clientele? What does that say? To yeah, you? Yeah. It says, no, no, no. Only come in if you're young, able-bodied and you know, probably white, really, because that's the teachers, you know, they start leading the teacher trainings, the teacher trainings start look like, how do we do a hot power flow training? Yeah. And then you have a bunch of students that that's what they value. And then where the fuck is the diversity everybody's been talking about? Yeah. So it's actually systemically important to value teachers across the board for their time and expertise, not for the bodies in the realm. Yeah. And I would, and I would challenge anybody, any student owner wanting to go through this exercise to remove whatever income you have historically received from teacher training. Figure out a way to make the numbers work and then let the teacher training be a, a bonus thing and even more radical. Why not hold the teacher training when you have a group of really interested people that you might be curious about cultivating as actual teachers and like not do it as this like churn and burn, but like, a, oh, we've got 10 or 15 really solid students who are very interested, interested in this. Let's, let's really invest in, in a training program. Yeah, or just cut down radically on the number of them. If, if it doesn't feel sustainable, if, if the size of your studio doesn't allow you to do that community thing, which I think is cool and might work for like a one location. Yes, I, absolutely. I, I think why not just drastically reduce the number if you have the number you have. Do not rely on them because that is a center that will not hold. Well, also part of the reason why I say to not rely on them is because A, it's a center that will not hold, but it's a very easy way to start creating inequities in how people are paid. Well, like, oh, well, that person can get some teacher training money. So that's fine. Like fundamentally, a yoga studio is a space like you are monetizing the space in which to do hatha yoga, maybe some meditation, what have you. So like, can you just in the space of what you are primarily, quote unquote, selling, pay teachers fairly, not based on numbers, and based on what it would cost for a single person to live in the city in which you are operating without all of the ephemera, without the body work, without the, without the um, um, you know, teacher training, without the workshops, without the what, whatever, because you know people are going to you know, subsidize in other, in other ways, whether that's having a part-time job like we do at something like Patient Moon or, or, you know, do other things. But like the adding on, and I see all sorts of studios doing this, the adding on of extra stuff without a real understanding of the like prime business and a real understanding um, and willingness to examine um, the structure of the just yoga class business um, and then to pay people equitably from yeah. that. And then everything else just gets to be bonus. So everything else just sucks, gets though. to be. This is where the fear is for studio owners. How can I do that to my top earners? 
and I, you know, I kind of want to turn to that and say, well, how have you done that to everybody else? On yeah. that? Not, <laughs> not how have, not how, you know, you don't want to hurt those people. Well, how you're hurting everybody else, quote unquote, beneath them. And well, you have them. Yeah. So for me, it's like, you just have to trust that. Uh, and if those teachers leave, like, maybe that's okay. Yeah. Or well, if and they reduce the amount that they're teaching, maybe teaching, that's okay. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. I think the other two things that are really important that studio owners don't take into, you know, I remember having this conversation with multiple studio owners. This doesn't so much apply over Zoom, but certainly applies in person. When you have those busy classes, I bet if you really did a cost benefit analysis, the extra staff, the wear and tear on the space, and the general, like, I mean, depending on how spacious your lobby is, the general um, quiet, mm, I'm not really going to go to the studio at that time for some people because it's just too crowded. Um, like, I'm not sure that, yeah, those teachers may be earning a lot, but the cost benefit analysis on what that means for the studio is probably similar not or not all that different from some classes that are you know not five or six people but certainly in the 15 to 20 range and then you also have to look at like if everybody taking the 545 vinyasa class that has 60 people in it is on membership but kate is teaching six people in prenatal and all of them pay to drop in <laughs> the class that Kate teaches could actually be drawing in more revenue. Yeah, and then the, the argument to that, that is, well, those people have memberships because of those the five. So you just have to, you have to take this like mentality of the value exchange is me as a yoga practitioner walking into a space and sharing what I know about yoga and then receiving compensation for it. And on a really small scale, when it can be this very direct exchange of people pay me whatever they can, you know, afford with some suggested rate, like that feels really good to me. But I understand that that doesn't work at scale. And I understand that that doesn't necessarily work when there's rent and employees uh, like staff that have to be paid. So I'm not suggesting that model at scale, but somehow at scale, we just have to break free of this idea that like, if I'm going to choose to work for a place and, you know, especially if there's some employment agreement that I, you know, sign, then, you know, part of that employment agreement is some guarantee of income that is clear and that is not fluctuating based on like, oh, you've got two people in your Tuesday night class, so we're going to take that away from you. Um, or, you know, all of those conversations that tend to happen, like it's not... Um, like if, if, if I as a studio owner really wanna be able to have those conversations that I do really need to structure it in more of a co-op or, or um, independent contractor type of way where people are paying, essentially paying rent on the space. Uh, but if I wanna have like a community of teachers that feels supported and um, you know effectively owns the studio, um, even if they're not super famous teachers, I agree with you. Um, an impediment to such equity might be teachers who are well-established. But it doesn't have to be. Um, and I don't actually think when you, because implicitly, everybody understands that the 545 class that has 60 people in it is in some way, shape, or form paying for the prenatal class that has six people in it. Yeah, or even that hour class at like some weird ass time, like four, four or nines PM. or whatever. Exactly. So like, why not just be explicit about it 
and be like, this is the value of showing up and teaching a class. This is what we expect when you show up and teach a class. And if you wanted a full-time teaching load, this is what that means. And so if it's 10 or 12 or 15 classes, what, you know, whatever it is, and when you reach that 10 or 12 or 15 classes, whatever you demarcate that to be, then there is a clear salary. It's not fluctuating based on the fact that it's August and it's too damn hot to be in a yoga studio or everyone's on vacation. It's not fluctuating because, you know, you know what you are taking home at the end of the month, which allows you to practice which allows you to concentrate on teaching and which allows you to um, be, you know, potentially take on other, you know, small roles at the company helping out. But all of those things, there's the problem there is that like those little things have to be compensated for as well. Um, it's like clear compensation for every possible thing. There's clear compensation for stepping into the room and taking a class. There's clear compensation for showing up to a faculty meeting. There's clear compensation for uh, uh, showing up to a um, I don't know. Give me another example. <laughs> I just, I, I am tired of being afraid. I'm tired of the, not me being afraid, but I'm tired of the fear of upsetting the handful of teachers that fill the room. Yeah. The studio is bigger than them. Yeah. And studios see that time and time again when those teachers leave. Yeah. Because the teachers eventually leave. They um, usually go off to either marry rich or... <laughs> so and that's my plan. I, mean, <laughs> I know. I haven't been I successful yet. but They say third time's the charm. I, um, <sighs> I, no, I, but, but there is an element of truth to that because it's such a, it, it, it's such a stereotype, but it's a stereotype because it's fucking true. Like, yeah. So, and the teach, you know, it's always like, what are we going to do if this big teacher leaves? Well, you're going to be fucking fine. Turns yeah. out, you know, you're you take still a, you take a you, hit for a hot beat, but it turns out people still want to practice yoga. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, um, there is be more think, afraid of losing a shitload of the people that have been doing this for a really long time and don't have you know, yeah. that, that don't teach the type, be, be afraid of losing your Iyengar teachers and your restorative teachers, be afraid of all the prenatal people leaving, be afraid of, you know, it, like we need to keep equity and fairness at the heart of things or else we are just like any other business. That's yeah. the other thing. It's like, you know, whenever I say this, I sort of get an eye roll, but what are we talking about when we talk about yoga? Are we talking about the eight-limbed path? Are we talking about the yamas and niyamas? Are we talking about how we treat people, how we treat the environment, how we treat ourselves, how we operate in a capitalist system? Are we talking about that? I think we are. And I think if we call ourselves a yoga studio, we have to hold ourselves to that standard or at least be in dialogue around what that might mean in terms of value. Yeah. And I think um, I think a lot of those conversations, because I've been around this for a long time, and a lot of the conversations of like, are we practicing yoga in the way that we met, run our business? A lot of those, especially when it comes to the yamas and the niyamas, it's so painfully surface level. Um, and part of that is because it's not acknowledging the fact that, and someone could disagree with me on this, uh, I think if we were all to really 
spend some time reflecting on it, that a yoga being practiced in 2021 would need to be somewhat anti-capitalist. Specifically the part of capitalism that speaks to scale and speculation and pseudo meritocracy. Yeah. Um, and I actually don't think it's would be very hard to say that to come up with a structure that says my yoga business is 100% owned by its full-time employees. Well, the other thing that could happen to make this doable is, and it depends on what community you're in. Yeah, absolutely. But if in a community like Boston, with some of the highest income earners in the country all clustered together, I think trusting your community to choose a membership rate that can support people that can't afford the one. So part of me is thinking, this takes a hard, sharp left into fucking country club territory, but some people maybe pay 5,000 for their yearly membership because they choose to. Yeah. Maybe some people do 10 grand and they consider themselves a founding supporter and, and that gets them access to private instruction or you know, weekly talks. I think that there's a way to cultivate community where people who can shoulder some of the cost have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, and but I think, I think that in a, like I would push back against they receive something special for that. Well, anybody who like has a membership would have access to that something special, but some people's membership would be, you know, 900 for the year and some people's would be 10 grand. So yeah, rather than that, having, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. having like a white napkin celebration that only the top 20 people, you know, get to watch a couple of yogis do whatever tantric thing they do. Yeah, that's not what I'm suggesting, but um, the idea being, if you buy in. Y'all in for $10,000, Kate will do some weird. <laughs> oh, my rates stuff. are so much lower than that. I mean, <laughs> yes, 10,000. I was trying to, I was trying to. I've done some weird shit for a hundred dollars. Let me tell you. <laughs> me too, my friend. Me too. <laughs> That's another podcast. That's you have to pay the special, special. ten thousand dollar a month unrolled membership. <laughs> my jaw is on the floor because I think that's actually genius. Mm. To sit on the to hear to hear excerpts from uh, Kate and I's early twenties. <laughs> Oh my God, yeah. So here's the thing. I don't, I, there is nothing to fear. Yeah. And there really isn't. Don't be afraid to consider radical change for your business and, and, and for your and, compensation models. Don't be afraid of it because honestly, we are polishing the brass on the Titanic here. Yeah. Anything that's going out, down. <laughs> It, you know, now's the time to think clear and take decisive action and, um, you know, build your net on the way down. Yeah. You know, also the reason why, you know, as a, there were a lot of things that I overcorrected for at Bow Street. Like I was always very like, I can't ask anybody for help because I can't afford to pay them for help. When like in reality, like if I needed help, like moving props, like blankets from the laundromat back to the studio, someone would have come by and helped me out and, you know, not expected to be paid an hourly rate for that. They would have just done it out of the kindness of their heart. Um, I may have overcorrected from working from other for other studio owners <laughs> prior to that. Um, uh, but like on the other end, what this is actually asking of studio owners and what it can be really frightening is you're giving up control. There is some leveling of the power dynamic 
that for a lot of people is really uncomfortable because a lot of folks, myself included, opened the studio because we were sick of being controlled. And we're like, oh, we're just gonna do this by ourselves because- I'm just gonna control everything. Yeah, we're just gonna control everything, right? Um, because we were sick of being told, it, I was sick of being told that my yoga wasn't X enough or Y enough. I was sick of being told that no one really understands you. Um, you know, you're, you, you're just doing your weird stuff over here. Um, uh, and, you know, there's like five people that seem to really like it. So we'll keep you around. Um, you know, I was just sick of all of that. And I was like, if there's going to be only five people who really enjoy the way that I'm thinking about yoga and are coming every week, I might as well control the means of production. But to step into a level of scale where you've got multiple studios, where you've got 70 um, plus employees, where you're like, A, I don't know that many other places are doing that. Like I can only count like four or five off the top of my head that are independently owned studios at that type of a scale. And I don't think any of them are, you know, hitting it out of the park. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, totally lost my train of thought. None of them are hitting it out of the park. None of them are hitting it out of the park. Um, like, you you can't con you can't control a, a thing that big. <laughs> Certainly not in the same way that like. I'm in a one room studio and literally everything is under my control, including needing to fix the plumbing when the lock on the door breaks and I have to call a locksmith at 1am, <laughs> you know, like the literally just, I can do all the things, but as soon as you start scaling, you just, you can't do all the things and it can be really tempting to um, try to exert control in all sorts of ways that are um, where it's very easy to lose track of the site that that there's an unequal power dynamic at play. And I think it would be really great if there was a broader discussion about, okay, what does it really what does it really mean to own a yoga studio and, what are structures that can be put in place, whether it's a for-profit model where there is just a robust HR department and some stated sort of accountability uh, for the owners and the management, uh, or uh, a cooperative model amongst teachers where everyone is essentially operating their own business out of a shared space, or whether it is just a group of teachers coming together to have us incorporate a space and, um, essentially all be the owners and have a way for other folks to buy into ownership um, or just, you know, teach into ownership, essentially, uh, then like all of these models are possible. They're not all going to be totally free of power dynamics and bad behavior and harm, but like it just has to be actively uh, the way that we are running these centers has to be actively re-examined. Um, and all options need to be on the table. Yeah, all options on the table and just not being, a f not being scared of losing teachers because there are enough teachers around. Just like if you were if if you were to take a radical stance on as many as many uh, studio owners have done in the past year on Black Lives Matter or on LGBTQ rights, um, and you had a teacher that was like, "Fuck that shit, I'm leaving. I don't agree with you." You'd be like, "Good riddance." If you are actively trying to make your studio a more equitable place where people can 
make whatever whatever portion of their income they want to make from yoga, whether it's a full-time job with, with health insurance, um, just from teaching yoga, uh, and, and sort of really looking at sustainability of that model, uh, or the teacher that just wants to come in and teach one class a week, um, and really trying to like level the playing field between those two extremes and everywhere in between. Um, and some teacher is like, I don't like that you're trying to make it more equitable. I deserve to make more money than everybody else. And they choose to leave. Like at some point you just gotta be like, okay, bye. That's not in line with what we're doing. Yeah, and honestly, like businesses are allowed to change. So yeah. just because you have done something for a really long time doesn't mean that you're beholden to do it that way forever. That happens all the time. Really nimble company, companies can change like that. They just change while in communication with the employees about why and what is happening. And um, for people that their compensation is shifted, I think that there are other ways to have people not lose a chunk of their income because of a new value system. Yes, like absolutely. I think there are ways to do that. Like perhaps somebody that had been making most of their money off of these classes that are large have access to teaching and the teacher training in a different way and or have a different, um, not necessarily different, but have sort of first dibs on some of the workshops where they make 70-30 rather than the, you know, 50-50, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I just think there are ways to supplement the potential loss in income from making less from those weekly classes. And, I and also it's okay for them to make a little less. And it's okay for them to make a little less. And I think, and you know, I already hear people saying like, well, the equity of how people are paid is not the same as racism and LGBTQ rights. And I was like, no, it's not the same, but they all have to be considered in like, they're intertwining considerations. Deeply intertwined. Because otherwise what we have is tokenism. Yeah. Because how often is the, that highest earner, like look really closely at your schedule. How often is that highest earner from one of those communities that you just listed? Yeah. And there are of course exceptions, but show me the prime time slot led by a disabled <laughs> Latina. Show me. Yeah. You know, so again, what we have is this pushed, pushing to the edges, yeah. this tokenization. And um, that happens across the board. This is not directed at anyone, but ultimately what happens is like, if there's only a few spots at the top, they tend to be occupied by um, a predictable. Yeah. So and, and that level of justice really is deeply involved with how we pay people. Yes. They are inextricably bound. And if we're going to have this conversation in the realm of yoga, how are you organizing your culture at your business? The way that people, the schedule that people have, the boundaries that are placed between employer and employee, or management and employee or employee and employee such that people have the time to actually practice because if they're going to actually be a yoga teacher it's helpful to practice <laughs> and two like the time to actually continue to study because you know i have worked at places where i've been compensated for or not compensated for, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, reimbursed for study and retreat time. Um, and I think that's a really worthwhile, I think that's a really worthwhile thing. Like I would, if I were, if I had the capital and were running a place that big, I would look at instead of offering, you know, X number of weeks vac vacation paid time off to have X number of weeks minus one and one week of, of paid retreat time, um, practice time, uh, you know, study, continuing education time that people could, could put in for. Because I think the other thing that is inherent in, in a lot of these models is just like, and, and this goes back to the dependence on the numbers, 
to make a living. If teachers are dependent on the numbers to make a living, then study isn't necessarily their primary concern. It's how do I keep getting all of those people in the room? And if teachers were allowed, felt safe in the income they were making to um, actually teach what was interesting to them, I think you'd actually see a kind of realigning of what, which teachers were teaching vinyasa flow and which teachers were teaching this and which teachers were teaching that. I think you'd start to see some sort of uh, radical shift in how people are teaching if it wasn't, if they weren't doing the thing where they're sitting in Shavasana going, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven times three is 21 plus 28 is four. <laughs> or, or I meant, did I hit the bump? Did I get it? Did I hit the bump? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I get the bump? Was that person a comp? And so I didn't get the bump? Let me go out there and quickly see the roster. Shit, is that a teacher? Is that a teacher in the room? Fuck. God damn it, there's another teacher in the room. I don't get paid for them. You know, not that that's yeah. literally what you're thinking, but you know, on some level, there's always that math happening in the back of your head because you want to understand if you're gonna be able to pay your fucking bills. Yeah. So long story short, um and the work is far deeper. Yeah. Than a non-compete for all studios. It's really looking at who you value on your team how you value them yeah who you know do do you have a an, an hr to support when the exit is not smooth and um and I, and the I, hr person hint hint cannot be another teacher <laughs> i know i know it's they can't it, it's a conflict of interest um and to say all of this is, I think there is room for giant studios to reimagine what they're doing. I think there's room for medium-sized studios to reimagine what they're doing. And I think there is ample room for those of us that just want to go it on our own to go it on our own. And I want teachers to be operating in a space where they can... choose what is supportive of their practice as well as supportive of their livelihood and you know um and then be able to say like you know what this isn't really working for me without fear of repercussion because at the end of the day even with the most radical reimagining i don't see us getting to a point where your average yoga teacher working at a big center is making an $80,000 a year guaranteed salary. Like, I just don't think the numbers bear out that way. But could we be looking somewhere in the 40 to 50 range? Yeah, I actually think that that's really doable. And it's already sort of happening, so. Well, that's the thing. It's like when you look at everyone's W, uh, what's it called, uh, W2 at the end of the year or 1099, it's like, well, everyone's already making this much money. And like, what if we just, said, you are going to make this much money. <laughs> and you'll get some paid vacation. Yeah. Like, like um, but it takes some serious number crunching. That's again, for sure. Take your people, put them in a room, get all the data. Lock the doors. <laughs> get some order a pizza. Coffee, get your dry erase board, get your spreadsheets out. It's doable. It's just math. Yeah. And it, 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 uh, the amount of math I do in my professional life is mind blowing to me because I thought I grew up in a time where um, women weren't allowed to learn numbers. And um, <laughs> is that so? Is that so? <laughs> yes, times have changed, but um, in the eighties, whoo! Um, so long story short, I'm always surprised, but it, there's nothing more freeing and empowering than, than really having a solid understanding of um, how to, of what you're working with and how to get there. And the only way to really map that is, you know, you take your numbers, you look where you want to go and you reverse engineer. And yep. that's how you see the path forward. Yep. Otherwise, it's just an emotional response you're having. 
Yeah. Until you do the work with your numbers, you are having an emotional response and that is it. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to say that actually those are two, like those two conversations don't always meet right away. Like to me, oftentimes it is a, can I do the numbers in a very practical way to see what's happening currently? Like to see what the reality of things actually is. And then to have the conversation of the ongoing reflection of what do I want can take some time. And because most of the time, what do I want is a just me conversation or what do I want is a small group conversation. What do we want? Uh, it's pretty easy to come to some agreement, at least in the short term of like, this is where we want to go. This is what the numbers say. How do we reverse engineer from that? But the larger the scale, the harder that is. So it's no small task, but it is doable. Um, and uh, could be done in a way that is inclusive of a lot of different voices um, if you're working at a center that has, um, you know, a larger number of teachers and, and managers, but it could also just be a rather kind of solitary endeavor too, if you need it to be. Um, has this just been one uh, advertisement for Patient Moon? Should we have gotten paid for this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Patient Moon Unrolled. Um, but honestly, because what we boiled the primary issues down to is a matter of clear and open communication and really understanding um, the metrics and the data and the tools that you have in front of you and opening your eyes and, and using what you're working with, um, which is often a patient moon conversation. <laughs> um, I, you know, I want to leave on a positive point, like for... I think it's important, you know, I, I come up against the feeling of, I just want to walk away, not from my studio, to be clear. I really enjoy working at Down Under and I have had a, a, I've had, I really enjoy teaching yoga. I, all of it, I've, I've had a good experience, but I'm tired. Um, of feeling um, that I am forever Sisyphus, you know, sort of pushing against the tide. And um, it, it does take it out of you to be invested emotionally at this level in what's happening in an industry. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't feel like a passive participant who just shows up and teach. I feel like I have more work to do than that. And I, um, I sometimes just have to acknowledge that it makes me want to step away completely, you know, and, and do different work. Um, and it's okay to do that. It's okay to step away. I yeah. don't, I don't know that now's the time to do that, but, but I say all of this just to say that if you're, if you also have sort of a fatigue around thinking about this, you know, you're not alone. It's okay to step back and take a break from any sort of work, you know, you're doing. Well, and also, was that you trying to end on a positive? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, no, positive note is uh, <laughs> we are in the driver's seat for change. Yeah. And that's exciting. And I think what a lot of what I've been reflecting on is the fact that I don't have to operate within a bigger institution and I don't have to operate at any sort of massive scale that I get to take my time. And I think um, taking your time in yoga capitalism is not uh, oft encouraged. Um, but the number of times people have asked, when am I returning to a full teaching schedule? My response is, I am teaching a full schedule. It just happens to be two classes a week. 
because that is my capacity at this moment. Um, you're muted, by the way. Absolutely, because what is a fucking full schedule? Yeah. What does that mean? You're available at least once a week. That's a full ass schedule. Yeah. I'm available once for asana practice and once for meditation practice. And like, if, as we often say, we are aiming to teach ourselves out of a job, <laughs> it actually does kind of make sense to only be available once or twice a week. And then you go and practice on your own. Um, I haven't exactly, you know, that's a, maybe not the greatest business model in the world, but I think great business models and, and um, good yoga are a, uh, um, or a, a positive yoga learning environment um, uh, often have a hard time coexisting at the same time. Which is me not ending on a positive note. Um, or maybe it is a positive note. I don't know. I don't. I know. It'll be I interesting to see if this one gets published or this our third. Yeah. Our third try. I don't fundamentally have a problem with any of these like tensions, right? Like I think the tensions are good. If if you actually take the time to think about them, it's when they aren't when they go unexamined that people get that harm often gets done. Yeah, and I think all businesses need to constantly be re-examining. You don't just lean back on what is historical work because history, if it showed us anything, it's that things that survive, survive because they're nimble and willing to make bold and radical pivots when it's called for by society at large. And it is, we have never been in a better time to make radical change. So make your change, do it. Yeah. Anyways, I'm gonna go pee. That tracks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I think we're going to publish this one. <laughs> um, will you slide Hold on. Him?